We're going to be in the book of Hebrews today, and there are two things that help me to understand this book and what God's trying to communicate here. And those two things are salmon and whales. Now, I know that sounds kind of strange, so let me explain. When I lived in the Pacific Northwest back in the early 1980s, I got a chance to see the salmon coming home. It's just an incredible experience, something I will never forget. The state of Washington is the breeding ground for several species of salmon, and every year in the months of July and August, you can see them coming back to their birthplace, swimming upstream from the salt water to the fresh water, heading back to those streams and rivers way up in the mountains. I mean, they're just this driving passion that, that kind of pushes those fish back to the place where they were born so that they can give birth to a new generation. It's just an amazing thing to witness. I mean, for years, those salmon have been out in the ocean. Uh, their entire adult existence, they've been in another place far, far away from home. When all of a sudden, uh, an instinct kicks in, this compelling drive takes over, and they just know that they've got to get back to where it all started. And yet getting back, getting home, is anything but easy for those salmon. I mean, all the way home, they have to swim against the current, and the resistance can be strong. The latter part of the journey, they have to keep moving upstream, and at that point, it's got to seem like that trip home is so long and so exhausting. And then all along the way, they have these dangers, bears and other predators that want to eat them, man-made obstacles like fishing boats and dams that make that, that trip home seem like an impossible dream. I mean, just all kinds of challenges along the way, and yet they won't stop. I mean, there's just something restless on the inside of those fish that, that won't let them give up. There's just a strong, intense desire that just keeps pushing them on because instinctively they just know things are not going to be right until they return to the place of their origins. Well, I think as human beings, we feel that same kind of yearning, that same kind of drive, too. I mean, deep down in our soul, there's, there's this lack of satisfaction. There's a sense of discontent. There's this feeling that something's missing. And yet, no matter how many joys and thrills we pursue, no matter how many new jobs we try out, no matter how many times we move and seek out a new place to live, it never scratches the edge. There's, there's still this restless feeling on the inside, something that keeps us all stirred up and unsatisfied, a feeling that lets us know we're not home yet. It's the very thing that Augustine talked about 1,600 years ago when he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, Lord. You see, until we get back to where it all started, until we get back to the place of our origins, until we get back to this truth that we were made by God. And not just made by him, but we were made for him. We were made for our life of the Lord. Until we get back to that, our soul will never be satisfied. I mean, think about it. God made us. That means our souls came from him. He gave us our life. And it's his presence, his interaction with us that, that is absolutely essential to our ongoing health. So our soul won't be home till it finds its home in the Lord. Well, what has all this got to do with the book of Hebrews? Well, Hebrews is a letter that was written in the first century. And it was written to Jewish people, Jewish people who come to believe, really believe, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Savior. He's the only one who can bring us home. And yet, ever since they put their faith in Jesus, they've been going through some rough times. Many of these people, because they became Christians, lost jobs, lost friends. They had their businesses boycotted. Some of them were thrown in jail. I mean, ever since they made that decision to follow Jesus, they've experienced all kinds of problems, all kinds of religious persecution. So, by the time this letter is written, many of these Jewish Christians are on the verge of quitting. I mean, they're about four inches from giving up. Hey, this choice I made to follow Jesus, it's costing me. I've lost friends. I've lost money. I've seen way too many members of my family turn their back on me. I'm not sure I can take this anymore. 
It's getting too painful, too difficult to carry on. Is Jesus really worth all of this? And just like those salmon, just like those salmon struggling to get back to that stream, that river way up there in the mountains, so many of these Jewish Christians are struggling to hang on, struggling to continue to believe, struggling to finish the journey. And you can tell just by the, the way the writer of this book, the writer of Hebrews, the way he talks to them, he's getting concerned too. He's concerned some of these people are not going to continue to follow Jesus unless they receive some special encouragement. So that's part of what motivates him to write this book. Now, that brings me to the whales. I never saw this, but I sure heard about it when I was out there in the state of Washington. From time to time, you'd hear it from the fishermen who could come back from Alaska, and every once in a while, you'd read about it in the newspapers. But there along the coast of the Pacific Ocean, you would hear about the beached whales. I mean, you talk about a, something sad to see, this enormous creature stuck there on the shore. He's still trying to move around, but he's not getting anywhere. I mean, the reflexes are still functioning, that mighty tail still flopping around, yet all that tail is doing is just kicking up a bunch of sand. And why? Because the whale is not in his element. That whale was made, he was designed to live in water, not on the land. I mean, you take that giant mammal, you put him back in the ocean, and he moves with incredible grace and power. But you take him out of that element, and you put him back in that shore, and now that immense size becomes nothing but a detriment. I mean, all that energy, all those reflexes, all that effort to move, it's not going to get him anywhere. He's frustrated, he's useless. And why? Because he's not in the environment that he was made for. Well, one of the lessons, one of the lessons the writer of Hebrews is trying to share with his Jewish friends is you need to understand the environment that we were made for as Christians. If we're really going to flourish as Christians, we were made to live in a certain kind of environment. There's two aspects to the Christian experience. Number one, we were made to be surrendered. Surrender to Jesus. We need his leadership in our lives. Without that divine guidance, without that divine perspective, we're never going to find our way home. We, we need to be surrendered. But here's the second. That's just one part. The second part of our Christian experience is this. We were made to be surrounded by God's people. We need to be surrounded by a community of Christian friends. And it's only when you're in that kind of element, that kind of environment, where you're surrendered to Jesus and surrounded by God's people, only then will you really flourish as a Christian. Now, this morning, I want to focus on this, that second part, being surrounded by God's people. See, ever since the early pages of the book of Genesis, God has made it clear it is a fundamental fact of life. It's not good for a person to be alone. And again and again, throughout the course of our lives, we discover that to be true. <laughs> Here's one of the first ways I learned it. Seventh grade, I got a set of weights for Christmas. I was so excited. I'd been asking for this for the longest time, and I couldn't wait to try it out. So I set everything up down in the basement. Well, two months later, I'm down there in the basement all by myself, and that day I'm going for a personal record in the bench press. I mean, a personal best. Don't ask me what it was, because it wasn't much, <laughs> okay? But all you need to know is this. After two months of trying to lift weights, I'd still not learned this important principle. You do not lift weights without a spotter. That fact had not yet connected with my brain. So I'm down there in the basement all by myself. I put more weight on that bar than it's ever been on that bar before. I'm all pumped up. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling strong. I can do this. I can do this. I get on the bench. I grab that bar. I pull it off and boom, with a mighty thud. It just comes right down on the chest. And as soon as it hits my chest, I know it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's not going back up. This is too much for me. I'm in trouble. I yelled, I screamed, and there was nobody else in the house to hear me. 
So for the next 20 minutes, I did everything I could to tilt the bar and roll it down my body until finally, 20 minutes later, I got in a place where I could finally squeeze out from underneath those weights. It was painful. It was embarrassing. I mean, for years, I wouldn't tell anybody about what happened. I was so embarrassed by this. And yet that day, I learned a fundamental truth. God knows what he's talking about. It's not good for a person to be alone, especially when you're attempting something difficult. Well, that's the lesson that God's trying to share with these Jewish people. It's a fact of life. You've got to be, you're not going to make it unless you're surrendered to Jesus. You need his leadership, that divine perspective. And number two, you're not going to make it in life unless you're surrounded by God's people. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. You just can't. You need to be surrounded by a community of Christian friends. Now, I want you to see how that lesson is taught here in Hebrews chapter 10. We're just going to look at two verses today, verses 24 and 25. So look at this with me. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's begin with verse 24. He says, and let us consider. This is the main verb, the main command. Everything in these two verses all revolves around this command. Let us consider. It literally means consider one another. Pay attention to one another. The word means to watch, uh, to watch closely. It's like a, a coach uh, watching the batter as he steps up to the plate, and he's thinking to himself, what's wrong with him? Why is this guy in a slump? I mean, what's wrong with the swing? What's wrong with his mechanics? Why is he not hitting the ball like he used to? He's so much better than this. What's happened to this guy? What can I do to help him out? What can I do to raise his average? What can I do to get this guy back on track again? What can I do to make things better for him? Well, that's exactly how God wants us to watch our brothers and sisters in Christ, to watch with this intent. How can I help them become that man, that woman that God wants them to be? Or as he says here, how can I help spur them on to love and good deeds? But what we need to understand is God is saying this not just for us to watch our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also need to put ourselves in a place, in an environment where they have the opportunity to watch our lives. And of course, that's not going to happen unless we're close enough where they can actually know what's going on in our lives. Let me illustrate like this, and I know this illustration is kind of raw and delicate, so I'll try to be real careful with the words that I use. If you're a married person, if you're a married person, that means there are only three people who are allowed to see the private parts of your body. You, your spouse, and your doctor. And if you're wise, you will not hesitate at all to go visit that doctor and allow the doctor to examine you, even the private parts of your physical anatomy. In fact, sometimes you will give him or her permission to perform invasive procedures upon your body because sometimes that's necessary if they're going to expose the things that are making you sick and if they're going to remove the things that are keeping you from being healthy. Well, if we welcome that kind of exposure, to help promote the health of our bodies, should we not also welcome that kind of exposure and examination for the health of our souls? See, last week, Luke chapter 10, we learned because we're made by God, we were created to care. We were made to help others. Well, today, Hebrews chapter 10, we're looking at the other side of the coin. We were made by God to need the help of other people. You can't go through hard times alone, no matter how introverted, private, shy you might be. And I'm one of those people. But no matter how introverted you might be, you've got to have other people around you if you want your soul to be healthy and strong. So, 
to watch others closely and to give our brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to watch us closely, here are two things that have got to happen. Verse 25. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And because they're in the habit of doing it, that's why they're getting themselves in all kinds of trouble. You cannot isolate yourself from others and still expect to receive help. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll have people approach me and they act kind of embarrassed when they do this. So when they talk, they kind of whisper, like they're sharing some kind of a secret and they'll tell me, I'm seeing a counselor. Like they expect me to respond, whoa, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know you were that messed up. You actually had to talk to somebody and ask for help? That's hard to believe. You're seeing a counselor? Like what they're doing is shocking, what they're doing is unnatural, what they're doing is not good? No, no, no! Nothing could be further from the truth. We were made by God not to be independent, but dependent. We were made to need the help of others. And it's not just one, hey, I need to get my house painted. I want to make sure this is going to be done right, so I'm going to make sure I hire a pro. Or, hey, my car's not working right, so I need a good mechanic, somebody who really knows how to fix things. It's not just in those areas of our life. We need it with the issues of our soul, too. So what I'm saying is this. Sometimes, to be a Christian, it takes real courage. And by real courage, I mean more than just putting on a brave face and sometimes trying to act more confident than what you actually are. Sometimes courage means this, taking off the mask, taking off the brave face, having the guts to just expose your weakness, expose your frailty, having the guts to turn to a brother or a sister in Christ and say, I'm not going to make it without your help. Would you help me? So the writer of Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together. Don't lose those close ties with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then here's the second thing, the last part of the verse. He says, but you've got to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the day he's talking about is the day when Jesus returns, the day when every one of us is going to have to give an account to the Lord. And if we're going to be ready for that accounting, that means right now we've got to hold each other accountable. Here's an easy way to do that. I know this is hard for us, I, me especially. This, this is hard for us to do, but here's an easy way to get started in this process of seeking out the help of others. You do exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He does this in every one of the letters he writes. He, he, he's all the time turning to his Christian friends and asking for this favor. Would you pray for me and my companions? Would you pray for us? Or would you pray for me? Talk about a simple but effective way to, hey, over the next couple of weeks, I'm facing a challenge like I've never encountered before. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it or not. I, I feel swamped, overwhelmed. I'm scared to death. Hey, over the next couple of weeks, would you pray about this? Would you pray about this issue that I'm going to have to deal with? Or, or, or would you just pray for me? And in making that request, you're not only giving your brothers and sisters in Christ an opportunity to focus, to really watch closely and see how God's going to be working in your life over those next couple of weeks, but you're also giving yourself the opportunity to be blessed by those prayers. So, what do we learn from these two verses? We learn this. The kind of people you surround yourself with will determine the kind of person you become. Get that? The kind of people you surround yourself with, this is intentional, the kind of people you surround yourself with will determine the kind of person you become. You can't live the right life with the wrong friends. You just can't. That was the problem here. These Jewish Christians, they gave up the habit of meeting with their Christian community. They lost those, those ties with their Christian friends. They're now allowing themselves to be surrounded by other kind of influences. And that's why their faith is faltering. That's why they're drifting away from the Lord. Bert had Ernie. Laverne had Shirley. Buzz had Woody. 
Bonnie had Clyde, Batman had Robin. Who do you have? See, you cannot live the right life with the wrong friends. Who is surrounding you? You were made as a Christian to surrender to Jesus. You need his leadership in your life. And you're made as a Christian to be surrounded by God's people. Do you have the right people surrounding you?